conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. Today I am joined by a brand new guest, Latasha James. We are talking all about Garden State today, but before we dive in, Latasha, could you just quickly introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about film and and this film in particular. So I am a content creator. I have a YouTube channel and I have a podcast all about freelancing. It's called the Freelance Friday Podcast. And I went to school for film, so definitely very... I love watching movies and talking about them. (laughs) That's perfect. I did not go to school for film, but it's something I've come to love a lot more recently. Before, I would just watch a ton of TV shows and never really went to the movies except for like the big Marvel and DC movies. And I finally started, you know, pre-COVID going to the movies a lot more and seeing just anything I could in theaters and There's a lot of stuff missing from my film repertoire, so to speak, and Garden State was one that hadn't really crossed my mind. I had always heard about how great the soundtrack was, and I've always heard about it, but I never really felt compelled to watch it. So when we were discussing to set this up, what movies you wanted to potentially discuss, I was like, you know what? I've heard a lot about Garden State. Let me just finally watch it, tick that off the watch list, and I had a lot of fun with it, and I think a lot of that had to do with how familiar I was with some of the cast members, because you obviously have Zach Braff, Natalie Portman, and they're the focus, but you also have, you know, just a few other characters who pop up, like Jim Parsons pops up, and this is sort of... And Peter Sarsgaard. Yes. And they were perfectly cast, too. Even though with Jim Parsons, it's obviously a much more brief role than the one Peter has. But it was just so pleasant to see a lot of these people, especially, you know, Gene Smart and Method yeah. Man, too. You're just yeah, like, oh. Yeah, so random. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you get all of these sort of little random cameos. And it's just so much fun, even though the topic being discussed is something that's along much more serious lines, you know. Mm -hmm. Andrew has been going through a lot of things. He's been medicated since he was a kid. And I think story-wise is where this really shines, even though you don't have a ton going on, so to speak, in these characters' lives. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's an interesting movie and it's the criticism that I hear from my friends who who don't like it or like, oh, it's so slow. And I I definitely agree with that to some extent like it's it's a it's a slower watch but mm-hmm. i think what i like about it is it feels like real life to me like and I, and one of my favorite film professors actually she would always say she'd always talk about the coming of age film and how important that genre is to you know cinema and I love coming of age films. Like I'm such Same. a nerd for those kinds of <laughs> movies, right? But most of the ones that i love at least are about high school or maybe college. And what's interesting about this film is that it kind of examines that weird in-between period of the mid-20s where... Yes, the figuring out who you are and what you want to do stage of life, as I like to call it. Yes, exactly. And like going back to your hometown and realizing that a lot of things are the exact same way as you left them, even though you feel like you've grown. And it's a really interesting, I think, 
look at real life in a sense. And I, and I think real life isn't always this amazing, exciting thing. Sometimes it is just sort of mundane and going back to your old life. Yeah. And you just get a sense that there's so much weight on everyone's shoulders in this because you have Andrew who is home because his mother died. And then you find out as the movie goes on, why she was in a wheelchair and the fact that it was his fault and the fact that his dad was his psychiatrist, which seems to be a big no-no <laughs> in the world of medicine mm-hmm. and psychiatry. But you're kind of just left wondering, like, okay, what is going to happen with these characters after this? But at the same time, you don't really want the answer because you see them figuring things out along the way. You see how hard Mark is trying to be a good friend to Andrew and he does it in a weird kind of way obviously when you see them go to the hotel and there's you know this peep show going on and then you finally get to the end and he hands over Andrew's mom's favorite necklace and you're just like okay this is what friends are for. And then you have the boy meets girl story intertwined as well. So it's really sort of this amalgamation of how quickly things can move, especially when you're still trying to figure things out, whether it's in college, post-college, you know, I'm 27. So I'm very much in that stage of what am I doing? Okay, here's Mm -hmm. what I'm doing. And is this going to be something I can sustain? Or do I need to change plans? And you're sort of always working on yourself. If you are one of those people who wants to figure out the answers to those questions. Yeah. And and I love that you brought that part up about Peter's character, too, because all throughout the film, he's kind of like this, like, you know, burnout kind of character. Um, There's one shot that I I love where um, Andrew is looking him in the eye as he's pulling jewelry out of graves that he's digging, like just really kind of slimy. But I think it's important to understand that people are both light and dark, you know, like we're complex creatures. And I think it's natural for us, both when we're watching a movie or just in real life, to want to categorize people as like, okay, this is a good guy or this is a bad guy. But most of us have a little bit of both in us. And I that's I, I really like that aspect of Peter's character in particular. I will admit I went into this having no idea that Zach Braff also wrote and directed it because mm-hmm. I'm familiar with him, but I've never watched any of his shows or anything like that. He's just one of those guys in Hollywood that you know of, whether or not you've watched anything he's <laughs> been in. And it was very impressive to me that he was the main character, wrote it, directed it, and you really get a sense for, hey, maybe this is something he went through at one point in his life, not necessarily to this exact extent or anything like that, but you felt this realness behind this story. Mm-hmm. And from what I remember, I think he wrote it, he started writing it when he was in college and then picked it back up a few years later. And it was largely based around his own life. He's from New Jersey and his parents, I think both of his parents are psychiatrists or psychologists, one of the okay. two. Uh, so yeah, I think it is is semi-autobiographical. And then I think you know, a lot of the other stories are just stories from kind of his hometown and friends that he grew up with, which is so interesting because when I first saw this movie, I was 
I saw it in theaters when it came out. So I think I was like 13 or 14. I was pretty young. And I'm from Michigan. I had never traveled really outside of Michigan at that point in my life. And I didn't even know what Garden State meant. Like, I didn't even understand that the film was about New Jersey. <laughs> but like, I, I I don't know. I just didn't really think about that. But the interesting thing is I feel like New Jersey kind of represents everywhere USA. Like, I feel like so many people can connect with that kind of setting of sort of like the suburb or, you know, the suburban kind of hometown feel that it feels really familiar, even if you're not from there. Like we all have those stories from our hometown, even if it's not in New Jersey. Yeah, I have been to New Jersey a few times. I went to college in Philadelphia. So, you know, it's right there. And while I understood that Garden State was New Jersey, it really felt like this could have been anywhere, maybe smaller town USA. Personally, Mm -hmm. I grew up outside of Los Angeles in Orange County. So you don't really get any small town vibes there, (laughs) but you still get this sense of, hey, these are who my friends are. Then you go off and you come back and things are kind of different. You're kind of feeling out of place and you're catching up with people. But at the same time, you don't really feel like you belong there still. And it takes Andrew until the end of the movie to realize, hey, I have something good here. Maybe I don't throw it all away for this crazy dream I had that wasn't going anywhere. Because you see at the beginning of the movie, he's very clearly unhappy in LA, even though he had been able to get a part or two in films. You get this sense that He is that stereotypical, I became a waiter in Los Angeles while I was trying to make my acting dreams come true. And there's so much to be said just for that opening there, because you get a sense of what LA is like for people who are just trying to make it. And you really just get a feel for what someone is going through throughout this whole movie. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's, again, just interesting perspective. You know, growing up in the Midwest, I can very much identify with the whole, oh, you do something cool, which for me, it's like my life isn't even that cool at all. But if you move away to any bigger city or do anything like remotely interesting or different from the norm, people in your hometown everyone that he bumps into, everyone that Andrew bumps into is like, oh my gosh, I saw you in that movie. Or like, oh yeah, I should connect you with my cousin who's an actor. And it's like, you're this cool, amazing person. But then seeing, like you said, that opening shot where his reality is not really that remarkable necessarily. Um, So it's just an interesting perspective, that sort of small town feel versus what it's like to sort of be a small fish in a big pond. Absolutely. Another thing that amazes me with this is the fact that it's very clearly an indie film. And he was able to get Natalie Portman to be in this movie after she had already done two Star Wars movies. Yeah. Yeah. I I was just talking about that because I I rewatched it last night too. And I was like, this is really interesting because like you said, with all those little cameos, a lot of them I didn't even realize when, again, when I, you know, first watched this, who some of those people were. Yeah. And it's, telling that Zach Braff wrote and directed this because it's it's very clear that a lot of those people were probably like personal connections he had or, you know, I don't know that Natalie Portman would have been in this movie if it wasn't an actor's film, you know? Yeah. Uh, I guess who really knows, but uh, it definitely feels like an actor's film for me. 
It also feels like today more actors are going for that kind of vibe. You have a lot of these smaller budget movies being made, something like A Quiet Place, where you have these familiar faces in them, but they're such a small budget in comparison to looking at something like a Marvel movie or a Christopher Nolan film. And you're just like, wow, these things can be accomplished without needing hundreds of millions of dollars. And they can be profitable for people. And I think Garden State was one of those. It was made on like two and a half million dollars and it went on to make maybe a little under 40 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I I'm, I think they only had like three sets that they shot on. The rest was just all on location in random stores and random places in New yeah. Jersey. So yeah, there it it is a super fun movie from that perspective of just and I don't think it could be done any other way to have the same feeling that it has of it feels like I'm coming home or it feels like I'm really hanging out with them. I don't know that that can really be replicated on this big budget, you know, huge Hollywood set. It just doesn't feel the same. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how things happen in Hollywood too. You're like, okay, it's a lot of who you know, but at the same time you listen to actors' stories and they're like, no, I still have to audition. And there are people who you would think would never have to audition for anything anymore. (laughs) So you have these people going up against each other, but a lot of them are still friendly. It's not like it's unfriendly competition, so to speak, especially when you listen to some people. For instance, I was just listening to Rob Lowe on the Bill Simmons podcast, and he was talking about, you know, growing up in the 80s as, you know, this teenager, young 20 something, and going for all of these same roles with a bunch of these other guys who were around the same age as him. And it was sort of just this friendly competition. And I don't know if it's the same today, but it does seem like today with the way. Hollywood is sort of being broken down and trying to be built back up again with getting more diverse stories that you could probably see more movies on this scale coming around and just showing us what they can accomplish. Absolutely. I'm still interested to see what's going to happen after this quarantine is over, you know? And I mean, there has to be people out there shooting movies right now, right? I mean, I can only imagine that they are. I know in other countries, they've opened production back up more so than they have in the United States, just because we seem to have it the least (laughs) under control. But I know in like England, I think they've started production on some stuff. I don't know about Australia, but you have these areas where you can film, but then you have to travel. And there's Mm -hmm. so many factors going into this right now. It feels like fall is going to be really empty on the television front, but Mm -hmm. then stacked full of movies because all of these movies that were already slated to come out while the theaters have been closed haven't been able to come out because I believe what happens is a lot of them have these contracts where they have to be released in a theater before they can go to any VOD service or be released on DVD and Blu-ray and that fun stuff. So yeah, the movie landscape right now is just insane because everything keeps getting delayed. Personally, as someone with asthma, I'm not keen on going back to a movie theater anytime soon because wearing a mask for me for three hours is difficult. I wear a mask when I go out and go shopping and stuff. But you know, that's like 30 minutes to an hour, maybe. And then I can get in the car and take it off. Whereas in a movie theater, I just feel like 
I'm going to be staying away for maybe longer than your average person would. But yeah, it's going to be crazy how things shake out after this. And I do hope that Hollywood really starts to figure things out because it's been a little sad to see, you know, these people who have bad reputations and people know about it. They still get work. And when you have so many good people in the industry, it kind of just sours it for a lot of people. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think things are definitely changing. And I hope like to the to the point earlier, I'm interested to see what that means for indie films and like small budget, like, hey, let's just rent a house and shoot a movie with the five of us, you know, uh, so that will be interesting to see if there's kind of a resurgence of of that more small scale production. Obviously, things like Sundance are probably going to always exist, which is where this premiered. And then I believe it came out maybe six months later to a wider release. So that's not a long time period. Sometimes something will premiere at Sundance and it won't be out in theaters for like a year or two at least. And you're just kind of like, oh, okay. So clearly with Garden State, they knew they had something special here. And while the movie itself isn't super diverse by any means. I feel like it does a good job of just telling the story that anyone can relate to because depression is a thing that isn't targeted to one type of person. It can hit anyone mm -hmm. at any time, at any point in their life. And he talks about how his mother was depressed for no reason. So there's sort of this misunderstanding of mental health in it as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of those pieces of the movie that it kind of like went over my head when I first saw it. What really hooked me on the movie was the soundtrack, which I think you mentioned earlier. It's amazing. And just the composition of the shots, like I really liked how it looked and how it sounded. But I think going back to it as I grew up um, in adulthood, that's the area that I really, really connected with. And yeah, I mean, depression touches a lot of people. Grief will touch us all at some point in our life. And even again, I mean, I hadn't watched the movie for probably like two years until I just rewatched it for this conversation. And in between that time, I actually lost my father. And so like I connected with it on a completely different level again. So yeah, it just feels like a very human movie that's touching on things that we all go through at some point in our lives. And I think that's really special. Yeah. Wow. So sorry to hear about your father. Thank you. I can imagine that this definitely plays different even for you with that two-year period. And then between 2004 when it came out and now, because mental health is something that is talked about much more openly now, there are still yes. some struggles with it. But you just see this bigger sense of people wanting to get a better understanding for it. Whereas before, it wasn't really talked about. You kind of kept that to yourself. And that's very much what this movie seems to do. You know, mm -hmm. Andrew doesn't want to talk about his problems. He thinks that everything is his fault. And he's kind of just so mellow to start. He's just kind of like, okay, yeah, go with the flow. He sits on the couch in the same spot at the party <laughs> at the <laughs> beginning. And you just get a sense that he's really just so mellow because of the medication he's been on. And when you get that scene where he goes into the office and the guy lists out all of the medication he's been on and the lithium, you're kind of like, oh, now we have a deeper understanding of why he is this way. And yeah. 
it really just speaks volumes as to how important mental health is and being sure you take care of it in the right way because his father just kept medicating him and medicating him because he thought he had these anger issues still from when he was, what, nine years old? I mean, yeah, that seems a little bit of a stretch that, you know, For just sure. because he did this one bad thing when he was nine, it was going to last the rest of his life. Yep. Can I just say that that is one of my favorite shots, too, of him going into the doctor's office and there's all the degrees on the wall <laughs> and like there's even one on the ceiling. <laughs> and it's it's just such an interesting kind of metaphor for like failure to me. Like, hey, you know, here's all the this accomplished doctor with all these degrees and then you're sitting here trying to figure out why you're so sad and or really not even why you're so sad, but it's that he's like not feeling anything. And yeah, it's just a really interesting shot for me. I do want to talk about the boy meets girl aspect of this movie because it also plays a big part. And it was one of those things where not a ton happened in the time span of the movie. He went to the funeral, he got together with some friends, met Sam. But as far as impact on his life, a lot of things happened in these few days or the week that he was home, whatever it was. So when he met Sam, it's almost like, even though I watched this last night, I don't remember how he met Sam, but it almost immediately felt like they had just known each other for years. And sometimes you meet people and you just click with them. Mm -hmm. And I really love that aspect of this because even if it didn't end up being some romantic relationship, you still get a sense that this could happen for anyone just on a platonic level too. Absolutely. I think some of my favorite movies actually center around like short-lived relationships. Like one of my other favorite movies is Lost in Translation. Okay. And I feel like that, you know, they kind of have a similar relationship where they're just happen to be in the same place at the same time and they meet and connect. And I love that kind of really, I mean, I've had relationships like that where it's like you instantly feel like, you know, the person and it, again, like you said, platonic or not. I mean, some of my favorite relationships, romantic relationships to look back on, I'm like, yeah, we dated for like a month and it was super fun <laughs> and it, it was perfect. Like not everything has to be forever. And I think, you know, I guess we know how this movie turned out somewhat, although it is still somewhat open-ended, but mm -hmm. I think it would have been fine if, if he didn't turn around personally. I think it was just kind of an examination of a friendship or a relationship uh, for a short period of time. Yeah. And Sam has all these sort of rules. She's like, we're not going to make out. Oh my goodness. I'm being so <laughs> awkward. And <laughs> you just get a sense that because she doesn't really think before she speaks, it gave mm -hmm. you this sort of comedic relief during all of these sort of stressful, tense moments that Andrew was going through. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that she plays into, uh, she's like the epitome of this like manic pixie dream girl trope. Have you heard of that? Yeah. <laughs> which is like a whole other thing. And I think that it's kind of a, another controversial aspect of this movie. And I guess their relationship to some extent too. But I, I think she's, for me, she's like the, the epitome of that. And like the first real example of like this quirky female character that's kind of carrying the story in some sense. Mm -hmm. While this dude is sort of going through something a little bit more 
maybe deep or profound in some sense. Yeah. I also want to talk about some of our favorite moments because since you're someone who went to film school, I feel like maybe I can learn a thing or two from you, but I really love the shot where he's at the party and everything's happening all around him. And I don't really know what the name for that is. I know it's kind of like a time-lapse thing, but you just get these shots where you're like, okay, he understands film on this specific level that maybe the audience doesn't, but I feel like maybe someone like you who went to film school could appreciate in a deeper sense. Yes, that is one of my favorite shots as well. And I think one of the things that I love about this movie is it's a lot of composition, meaning like how the shots are put together and the elements in the shot, less about camera movement and like cool, like fast, you know, camera movement and transitions and things like that. It's really a pretty stable camera for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's just about what's inside of the shots and and how they're kind of interacting together. So I love that one. I also love the shot where he's in the airport and he's he's in the airport bathroom and the sinks are turning on as he's walking past, mm-hmm. which is a really cool one. And then, of course, like the iconic shirt wallpaper scene where his shirt is matching the wallpaper that his aunt made for him or or something like that. (laughs) Like another just, I don't think the camera's moving at all. It's just like this really interesting composition and he has this very dull look on his face. It's it's a good one. Yeah, as I've been getting more and more into film, I've sort of been trying to listen to commentary, just read more articles about how these things are made, especially when directors are doing interviews and press junkets press junkets and all that fun stuff. But it's very interesting to me when I actively notice these things now during a movie. And this was one of those movies. And I don't mean that in a bad sense. It's not like, oh, my goodness, I noticed the editing in this and I don't like it because I also host a Stephen King podcast and I just finished going through the 90s. And there are a lot of bad 90s Stephen King adaptations, (laughs) to say the least. And when you notice the editing too much, I'm just like, oh, you guys are trying to cover some things up. But with this, the editing flowed so well, but it was the shots that stood out to me. And that's what I love to notice in films now. Yeah, I agree. For me, it's definitely about the composition of the shots and about the music. I think that Zach Braff also did a really good job of uh, kind of marrying the music with what was going on in the movie. And I mean, he, he won a Grammy the, or, you know, the movie won a Grammy for this mm-hmm. soundtrack. So it definitely helps sort of tell that story and bring it to life without it having to be all about like the actors doing these, you know, crazy stunts or anything like that. It it The music really helps keep it alive for me. Yeah. Did you have any other favorite moments in particular that you want to mention? Yeah. I mean, I think as as far as visually, also the cliff shot is a really good one. Not even so much of that. That's one of the more dynamic shots, I think, when Mm -hmm. they're all three of them are standing on top of the cliff and it's raining and they're like screaming into this whatever this cliff thing. But I actually like right after that, when Natalie Portman and Zach Braff are just like hugging and Peter Sarsgaard is like looking off into the cliff. It's just, again, another really interesting dynamic of this like very intense moment that um, Andrew is just finding himself very centered and very safe feeling, even among all of this sort of chaos that's going on. So that's a fun one for me. 
Yeah, another thing that stood out to me, I don't remember the character's name, but Andrew walks into the party and it's the guy who had sold this Velcro that doesn't sound like Velcro. <laughs> and Andrew's like, oh, so what are you doing now? And he was just like, nothing. And it kind of felt like an early take on these tech guys who yeah. they build up this company, they sell it, they get a ton of money, and then you're kind of left waiting to see what's next from them. And while a lot of people in the tech industry seem to be very driven and are constantly working on things, you got a sense he was kind of like one of those guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I peaked kind of early. So now, now yeah. I'm just hanging out, hanging out, trying to figure out what to do with life, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. Well, if you don't have anything else about the story or favorite moments, I do want to talk about the ending before we sort of get into ratings and that fun stuff. Yeah. So you have this airport scene, which airport scenes can be hit or miss for me. Sometimes you're just like, okay, that was fine. But this one, you have Andrew and Sam sitting on the steps together. And it's sort of this heartfelt goodbye and also a tough goodbye because they've grown so fond of each other so quickly and you see him go up the escalator and she's left sitting there and it's just such a nice moment even though you're kind of like okay what's he gonna do what's he gonna do is he going to turn around is he not and like you said it's open-ended and we didn't necessarily need to see if he turned around or not but we do get that moment and he finds her in the phone booth, which is funny because phone booths. But <laughs> What's that? You just get this nice moment. And then he kind of has this determination now. And you do want to know what's going to happen next. But at the same time, you're like, okay, he's determined. That's enough for me to believe that everything ended up okay. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Yeah, the ending is, after all of these years and many times watching it, I still feel kind of torn on how I feel about it, just because I feel like it sort of gets a little cheesy at that point. Like, it gets, it's very predictable. And I think when you talk about airport scenes, I automatically am like, oh, gosh, I can predict exactly what's going to happen when I see an <laughs> airport in a movie, which, yeah, I mean, I, I think it had to end in some way. And I also got kind of annoyed at his character when he left her sitting on the steps like that. I was like, wow, that's kind of a jerk move. So I, I think it did need to wrap up in a way that made everyone feel a little more comfortable. But it it, it feels a little a little bit cheesy to me. But I mean, I guess that's what movies like this are about, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like every rom-com that you see probably has a little cheese factor to it at some point. <laughs> yep, totally, totally. But I think visually... I love it. I think it is so fun. Um, and and they were filming that when people, like actual passengers, were in the airport, too. Those weren't actors. So I think that's another fun little tidbit about the movie. Like, can you imagine going to catch a flight and Natalie Portman is crying on steps next to you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised they were able to even get those shots then and people were just ruining them. <laughs> right. I know. That's crazy. Yeah, and as soon as he, like, started kind of jogging, too, I was like, oh, he's that guy in the airport. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I, I think it sort of just brings the story to an interesting close of, like, he went out to L.A., he was looking for something. You know, he was looking maybe to feel something. He was looking to feel accomplished. And 
sometimes what you're actually needing in life is is has been there all along in a sense. Like you don't have to go all the way across the country to find someone or something that makes you feel content. And I think that's kind of what he found with Sam or Natalie's character. Yeah, it was just really well done all around. And I ended up enjoying this a lot more than I expected to. I ended up giving it a four out of five on Letterboxd. I don't know if you're on Letterboxd at all, but I just kind of go with the five star ratings for movies now. But I know this is one of your favorite films, so I imagine you're around the same five out of five, maybe even. Yeah, yeah, I would probably say like a 4.5 if I can do that. I mean, again, I think I think there's some, you know, maybe cheesy moments or some things that I didn't particularly love. But I think all in all as a package, it's just it's a good one. It's a good mix of like some comedy, some some deep feelings in there. And like I said, I think just aesthetically and um, sonically, it's just such a fun experience. So, yeah, I'd say a 4.5. Yeah, it's a movie that ends on a high note and doesn't leave you feeling defeated like when I recently we when I recently rewatched The Green Mile. I was like, "Oh no, here we go again." Oh my gosh, I I should rewatch that one. I haven't seen that since I was really young, but it's a good one. But yeah, it's cut. so good but so heartbreaking <laughs> yeah. by the end of it and you're just like, "Okay, I need a break now. Where is something I can laugh at?" Yeah, totally. Totally. Awesome. Well, I think that wraps this up. Latasha, thank you so much for suggesting this movie and coming on to discuss it. You're more than welcome to come back on anytime you want. I know you listed off a few movies we could discuss, so maybe we'll get to those ones soon too. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. Absolutely. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. You can sign up for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. $2 a month, you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show. For $5 a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack group, where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at GeekdomPod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. If you feel inclined, please do give us a review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. It really does help the show. And as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.